have fun? I think you got Jessica today, so have fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you better hurry up. They're beating you down there, Jess. <laughs> uh, well, how's everybody doing this morning? Happy Palm Sunday. And I, I always, I, every, I say this pretty much every year now, Palm Sunday is one of the, is, a, is that the day that we see the fickleness of mankind on display. On this Sunday, Palm Sunday, they welcomed Jesus as a king, and by the end of the work, they were saying, kill him, <laughs> you know? So it's like, it's funny. You, that's why you don't follow the winds of the crowd, right? Because they were just pushed by whoever put the most influence on them at that time. Come on, I've met so many people like that. They get, they get hooked onto God, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is great. And then they get, get off, and they get de- separated, and they get disconnected. And what do you know? Ne- next thing you know, they're following something else and putting God to the back burner because, man, it's not the pressure that was right there. You don't need people to pressure you. You get to set the direction of your life. No, this is the way I'm going, and it doesn't matter what gets in my way. I'm going to keep going that way. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to jump back into our series on the laws of God this week. And uh, as I was preparing through this week, I was pulling out uh, um, law number five because, you know, when I wrote this series uh, several months ago now, there was five laws that God wanted me to cover. And as I was dusting off law number five, I just felt in my heart, he said to me, preach number four again. And I was like, well, we've done that four weeks already, God. What What do we do? What do we go? No, preach that again. He wants you to be so fired up in faith and understanding what that means for you so that whenever whatever situation pops up, we don't say, well, what am I going to do? No, we go, this is another opportunity to believe God. This is another opportunity to trust God. This is for me to take him at his word and believe. And so let's jump right back into 1 John chapter 5. It says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. No ifs, ands, or buts. Those that are born of God, their natural state is to overcome the world. Well, I don't feel like I've been an overcomer. I didn't ask you how you felt. The Bible calls you an overcomer. You've got to start calling yourself what he calls you. If he calls you blessed, you call yourself blessed. Come on, I have a really good friend. His name is Spiros, and uh, God, it was just been one of those God connections in my life that whenever I, I need someone to stir me up, he's been there to, to mentor me and to speak into me and believe in me. And uh, when, when I first met him, he was hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. He had trusted his companies that he had built up to the wrong people. And when everything happened with the the, uh, economic crash earlier, uh, closer to the year 2000, 2001, he lost everything and was very, very much in debt. And he was kind of like to the point where he was on a bridge and he was going to jump off and kill himself. He's like, what do I got to live with? And, And God began to speak into his heart that you can believe me and you can trust me. And he said, I want you to go to Ramah. And he's like, I can't even leave the country. I'm on a no-fly list because of everything that's gone on. They won't let me leave Greece. And, uh, and God said, no, you just trust me. He's like, go ahead and get everything. Put your application in. And so he put his application in. He got approved. Uh, when you come over as an international student to the United States, you have to have all your money up front. So for someone who uh, has is hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, having the money up front is not a possibility. 
And he had a friend come up and says, no, I'll sign on your behalf. And, and I'll show, give a letter saying that I'm, I'm going to back you, even though I'm not giving you any money, but I'll tell them that I am. <laughs> and so he got the letter to be able to go, and he's like, well, I'm not allowed to leave the country. And so he gets to, gets to the airport, and he's going through, check it out, and they scan his passport, and it should have popped up saying, you can't go nowhere. And they scanned it through, and they said, have a wonderful trip. <laughs> and he met, came over, he spent three years believing God, and God, throughout those three years, as he trusted God and listened to the word and was taught and, and trained up to be a minister, God paid off everything. Just miraculous after miraculous miracle after miracle. Whatever situation you're in, you can overcome. Because it says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We need to understand how to believe and act in faith. It's not optional in the world we live in. It's not optional. We need to learn how to live and act and release our faith. And so where I want to start today is I want to make this statement to you. Faith is not an event. It is a lifestyle. And we can so much make it around like, oh, I believe, just like the story I was telling, he believed to get out of hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. Faith is not in moments. Moments spring out of a life of faith. And if you're having to stir your faith for a moment, you're already behind the ball. Come on. Oh, don't say that, Pastor Jordan. Uh, it's fine. If you need to stir up your faith when you hit the situation, you got to do it. But we should be living out of a life of faith when we hit that moment. And so moments will rise up out of our life of faith, but we are to live in faith every day, believing. Believing what Jesus has said he's done for us. Believing in what he said he's left for us. Believing that we are who he said he is and that we can do what he said he can do. When you keep yourself up in a stirred up state, as soon as something hits, well, why would I listen to you? I already know what God said I am. I am what he says I am. I have what he says I have. And I can do what he says I can do. I live in that every day. I stir it up. I don't ask my body how it feels. I don't ask my bank account what it it thinks I should be doing, I ask God and God tells me. And I follow and I believe every day. And so if you only believe God when you've hit a challenge, you've missed a lot of opportunities to walk in his goodness and his favor and his grace and your provision because so much of the time he will prepare you ahead of time. And he will give you things that you need before you even get there. And so if I'm having to believe in the moment, I've already missed his provision that goes before me. His favor goes before me, and it prepares a place for me before I ever even enter into the room. It changes people's minds even before I have a conflict with them. It brings the provision that I need for tomorrow, today. I don't have to work from behind my God already knows the end from the beginning. Amen? Amen. 
And so faith is not just an event, it's a lifestyle. And so throughout the Bible, we see that statement about faith is an everyday life thing. We go from faith to faith. Not stirring up faith, I go from that last faith victory right into the next, amen? amen? And so this morning, let's jump over to the book of Habakkuk chapter 2. And normally when I would teach in Habakkuk, I usually start in verse 2, and most people do, but I think there's some wisdom in verse number 1 for us today. You ready to hear what that says? Verse number one of Habakkuk chapter two, Habakkuk says this. It's his statement before God. He stands up and he says, I will stand my watch and I will set myself on the rampart. Let's pause there for a second. There's something really important about what Habakkuk is saying. He's saying, I will actively watch. And not only that, I'll put myself in the best position in which to look and to see, and that is up on the rampart. What is a rampart? A rampart is one of the towers of a wall or a defense or a castle. He's saying, I'm going to get up and I'm going to put myself in the best possible position to see. And what I want you to really grab out of what his uh, mentality is in this is he was active in his pursuit He was active in his belief. And when we ended our our service last week, we were talking about how the enemy wants nothing more than you to be passive and just to sit back. Oh, come on. He wants you to sit back, do nothing, say nothing, believe nothing, and receive nothing. He would love nothing more for you to just sit back and go, good message, Pastor Jordan. I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to take what the word of God has said, put it in your life, and use it. And so Habakkuk starts off this whole, what we're going to look at in a second. He said, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be active and I'm actually going to look. You have a responsibility to what you know. And God is going to hold you accountable to what you know and what you used or what you didn't use. Oh, come on, and I believe ministers like myself are going to be judged higher, more accountable. What did you do, Jordan, with what I taught you? Who did you teach with what I taught you? What did you do? What did you put into application? God expects you to use what you know because knowledge without application is worthless. And so he said, I'll stand on my watch. And I will set myself up on the wall to see. And I will watch to see what he will say to me. His expectation and his belief was that God was going to talk. And he said, I'm waiting. I'm watching and I'm waiting to see. What are you going to say to me, God? Well, God just doesn't talk to me. Have you ever given opportunity? Have you ever quieted everything else out? And said, God, this moment is yours. I'm not giving you my leftovers. I've cut this time out just for you and me. Speak, lead me, teach me, whatever. And he says, so I'll watch to see what he'll say to me. And I love this last part. And what I will answer when I'm corrected. (laughs) He said, what am I going to say when what he says doesn't line up with what I think? Come on. 
That's an important moment. When you're reading the word and you're kind of like, well, I don't know, it's a really telling of your character when what you believe and what he says butt heads. Because he's not going to yield. So you can either keep going this, or you can do this. Come on. I'll watch to see what he says to me. And I will answer when I'm corrected. He was active. And faith is always active. It's sometimes active in its rest. And I want to reiterate that again. There's sometimes where God is going to tell you to sit back, believe me, and watch what I'll do. And you're like, but I want to do this, God. And he's saying, no, stay here. Come on, we mentioned that in part three of the law of faith. When we were talking about Abraham, the first part of his story was Abraham obeyed when God called him out to a land that he didn't know. And the second part was Abraham stayed in the land he was called to. And there's times... You're going to have to, it's not the same every time. There's not a formula to faith. It's not A plus B equals C. It's God said, I believed and I stayed, or I did, I responded, or I acted. It's always based upon what the Word of God has said and what He's spoken to your heart to do. I like that story that you shared this morning, Ken, because that's exactly right. It could have been just God give him another bike, but she said, no, he gets his bike back. You always follow what God wants in the situation because we can say, God, this is what I want and this is how you have to do it. And he says, sure, we can get to that end game, but I'm doing it my way, not yours because I've got so many ways that will stretch your faith and expand it beyond whatever you could imagine that you just got to trust me and let me expand your horizons. We're taking too much time on this. (laughs) we got a lot to cover still. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 now says, And then the Lord answered me and said. So he was in active pursuit. He was in active expectation. He was ready to receive in whatever it was, even if he had to be corrected. And God spoke and said, Write the vision down, Habakkuk. Write it down. And make it plain on tables that he may run who reads it. When you are believing God for things, you better write it down. It's not something that lives out in the airy fairy of, oh, yes, God, I just believe you're going to take. No, if he said this is how it's going to happen, you write it down. Why? Make it plain. Make it easy to be able to reread so that when you're in the busyness of life and you're running and you're doing and everything, it's right there before you. It's easy to read. Come on. If you are believing God for something and you don't have any scripture for it, you're not anchored around his word and his will. So you pull out the word and you find out what word you're standing on and then you write it down. 
Come on, we got to get back to those old days where our mirrors and our bathrooms were covered with our declarations of what God was calling us to, where the scriptures that he had spoken over us were plastered there for us to see. Come on, I used to put it on, where's my phone? I used to put it as my lock screen. Whatever God was drawing me to and I was believing for, I'd put it as my lock screen. So every time I pulled up my phone, I'd be like, ah, there's that verse. And I remind myself, why? Because the Bible says write it down. Because if we want to take this even out of a spiritual context and put it into natural, they say when you write your goals down, depending on what study you read, you are 40, between 42 and 85% more likely to actually accomplish it. When you did the simple step of writing it down. And so he, God told Habakkuk, write it down. What are you believing for? Write it down. Put it before you. And trust and thank God every day. And he says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come and it won't tarry. (laughs) There's going to be times where you're believing God. You've asked him for things. And you say, God, I, I thank you for this, and I receive it with joy. I consider it done. And there's going to be times where you're going to have to hold on and stand in faith. And there's going to be times where you're like, God, why, 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 why? No, you stop saying why, and you say, no, it is as you've said. It is as you've said. It is as you've said. And your flesh may be saying, it's taking too long. It's taking too long. No, you hold. You hold because it's coming. It will surely come, and it will not tarry. Then he says this in verse 4. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright within him. Which is interesting. Think about the imagery of this. What is the image of a proud person? I can do it. But the, the, here he reveals the true inside of a proud person because you can't stand outside of the word of God he doesn't need your pride he needs your agreement and your humility and so it says behold the proud I can do it I've got good enough strength I've got enough friends I've got enough connections I can make this happen no What did the word say about you? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things are possible to him who believes. If it's rooted in what you can do, it's not faith. You don't need your strength, or you don't need his faith to accomplish your plans. You need faith to accomplish his. Amen? And he says, but the just shall live by faith. We don't visit faith, we live there. (laughs) Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The power of God unto salvation is to those who believe, not those who don't believe. You want to see the power of God in your life, you're going to have to believe Him. Because the power of God for, the, for salvation and the things that salvation bring are to those who believe. First, the Jew first, 
and also for the Greece, the Greece, the Greek. <laughs> for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, meaning one faith after another, because the just live by faith. Paul said it to the Galatians as well. He says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just live by faith. The law was about your works. The law of faith is about his works and what you believe about them. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, it says, Now the just live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Why? Because Hebrews eleven six 6 says that faith pleases God and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so those who draw back, God doesn't find joy in that. Not that our full goal is to make God happy. Come on. God was already happy before you existed. And he's not like a man that his mind changes all the time. He's steady and stable. And so if you think you've disappointed God, it's okay. He still loves you. He still says, you're my beloved child. Who? The world wants you to think, and the enemy wants you to think, that God's fickle. It's up and down. Because when you feel God's like that, you don't know how to approach him in faith. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, that was for someone this morning. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not like those who draw back under perdition or back to the garbage heap. But we're those who believe to the saving of the soul. Whoo! Well, that's just the introduction. You ready for the rest? <laughs> Come on, buckle up. We are those who believe under the saving of the soul. And back to Hebrews 11.1 1 today again. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith always exists in the present tense. Faith is always now. You don't believe in the future. You're always believing in the present. You could have believed in the past, but you need to be believing in the present. Because faith always exists in the now. When you're praying for things and you're asking God for things that are in line with his, the word of God, just because you haven't seen them yet physically doesn't mean we treat it as a future tense. Because faith is always now. We really need to put the focus on that. Faith is now. I believe in the present, and I continue believing in the present, that it is as God has said. But I don't feel it. I didn't ask about your feelings. It is how God has said, but I haven't seen it yet. It is how God has said. 
Faith is always in the presence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is future tense. It's a confident expectation of good things to come. And as you stir up hope, as Romans chapter 5 says, hope leads to faith. There's a point where it stops being in the future and you receive it as fact today. That's faith. Faith is fact. It's not based upon um, things that, we, that aren't real, aren't true. It says faith is the substance of things hoped for. If God has said it's true for you and you've asked and you've received, it's now true for you. Even in the beginning, it said God created the heavens and the earth. What is created? Past tense. But then what do we see? Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. There was a, something that already existed within himself that he then spoke into existence. He created the heavens and the earth. They were already finished and good on the inside of him before they were ever finished and good on this earth, in this reality. Come on. They were already finished in him before he opened his mouth. And they're already finished for you even before you open yours. It says that he has no, knows what you have need of before you've even asked. And he's able to look ahead and know exactly what you need in every situation and make provision for it before you've even got to it. He knows the end from the beginning. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. If you were to go before the police and accuse someone of a crime, and they say, well, what's the evidence? And you hold up a big, empty plastic bag, they go, I don't see any evidence. The Word of God is your evidence. When the world is saying, well, it doesn't look like you're blessed, it doesn't look like you're healed, you go, well, why don't you take a look at this good old evidence that said he supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Why don't you look at this evidence here, old devil? It said that he took stripes on his back and I was healed. Come on. This is your evidence and it is already settled and it lives in your present reality. Let's look at that verse in the, in the Amplified Version. And I love how it says it here. It says, now faith is the assurance. It is the confirmation and it's the title deed of the things we hope for. Being the proof of the things we do not see. And the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. And I should say, to the senses yet would be better. Faith perceives as real, as settled, as done, as present before your eyes see and your hands touch and your mouth tastes, before you've walked, before you've got the doctor's report saying the cancer's gone. Faith 
perceives as real before your senses do. Come on. Faith is, not faith will be. So, let's get back to 1 John chapter 5 this morning. John said, now, because faith exists in the present, now this is the confidence or the full assurance that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's great that he hears us, but the next part is just as important. And if we know that he hears us, knowledge exists in the present, doesn't it? Because you don't know what you're, not, what you're gonna know in the future, right? But you do know what you know now. Knowledge exists in the present. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have. Not that we will have. We know that we have. That is a present tense reality. And I understand this fights against everything we feel naturally. When it's in my hand, then I'll call it real. When my body is no longer feeling bad, then I'll call it healed. When my bank account is full, then I'll call myself prosperous and blessed. Do you know what Jesus called that? Doubt. Thomas said, unless I can stick my hand in his side and put my finger into the holes in his hand, I will not believe. And Jesus said, Thomas, you got it wrong. Have faith. Blessed are those who have believed, present tense, they believe now, but yet have not seen. And so if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. His word is his will, so if it's in the word and it says you have it and said it's done, that's his will. You don't have to question what his will is in regards to your provision. He said he will supply all your needs. Ooh, that was really quiet. You don't have to question his will about your provision. He said he would supply all your needs according to his riches not what you have come on whatever we ask according to his will he hears us and when he hears us he says yes i've already provided faith begins where the will of god is known and faith is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance. Now, what I want to do this morning with the time that we have left is I was thinking about a story that Brother Hagen had said, and it's in the, the Believer's Authority. It's the book I gave you guys last year, and so I hope you've read it. In there, Jesus has, he has a visitation with Jesus. And Jesus comes and he starts talking to him about some things. And this is his response to what Jesus said. Well, if that's in the Bible, I've never seen it, or I've never known it. And I've read the Bible front cover to front, cover to cover, 150 times now. And Jesus said to him, well, you know, son, there's a lot in there you don't know. 
<laughs> and that's the, there's a lot of things that I still don't know, and I know that you don't know, but he does know. And Brother Hagin was just bold enough to say to Jesus, he's like, you're going to have to prove it to me in the word. Man, you got to have that same tenacity. If I'm saying something, you better be saying, Pastor Jordan, prove it to me in the word. You don't need my experience and you don't need my stories because they will not bolster your faith. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is birthed in a heart that responds to God's utterance. And so in the word, it says that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything should be established. It says it in the Old Testament, and it says it in the New Testament. And so if you're going to make a doctrine or a theology about something, you need at minimum two references that say the same thing. Three would be better. And what, what I was reminded of while I was studying this week is Brother Hagen said that to God, said that to Jesus, and Jesus said, I'll do you one better, I'll give you four. <laughs> and the subject that he was talking about. And so why don't we do the same thing? If this is what God has said is available and possible to us, the word of God should confirm it more than once. Mark eleven twenty two, Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith or put your faith in God things, God words, and God ways. Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that the things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. Jesus flat out told his disciples, guys, whatever it is you need, if it's based on the word of God, based on the will of God, you ask, you believe, you receive, it's done for you. Come on. That's what he said. And so we need to take on the mentality, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, that's only two. That meets the bare minimum. Bare minimum. He said it twice. That's enough. Well, in John 15, 7, he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, what is his word? His word is his will. You will ask whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. Let's sit in the silence for a moment. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you, not him, you will ask, and it will be done. Well, that seems a little greedy. <laughs> no, he said, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and you'll be my disciples. This is what happens to followers. Well, there's three. Let's go further. John 16, 23, Jesus is sitting with his disciples. 
And he's telling them about the time that's going to come after he goes to the, to the grave and is risen, risen again. And the Holy Spirit comes, who's going to be their helper and their comforter. And he says, and in that day, and in the day, that's the day we live in, is what he's talking about. In that day, you're not going to ask me nothing. Jesus is saying, you're not going to be relying on me to do it for you. You don't have to ask me to do it. He says, most assuredly, or surely, surely, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone say me. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. God doesn't have a problem with you being happy. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. If you talk to some Christians, you think that God enjoys when you're going through a hardship. Put some on you just to, you know, make sure that you're humble. <laughs> you know, Brother Hagin used to say that when he was pastoring in the South in the, the 30s, that uh, they had a saying, Lord, you keep them humble and we'll keep them poor. <laughs> That doesn't glorify God. But with that said, I want to talk about something this morning. You know, we can just be honest with things. Faith is not your get-rich-quick scheme. Oh. <laughs> I, I say that because when we preach these things, if you're not anchored in the Word of God, immediately people get stupid. I'm believing God for $500 million. For what? What are you going to do with it? One guy said, well, I'm going to have a helicopter. I'm going to fly from beach to beach, and I'm going to have all these houses and all these cars, and I'm like, oh, so you're going to be lazy. <laughs> Come on. I'm going to meddle a little bit. Is that okay? Why? Why do you need that? And if we were honest... Do you know what the answer would be? So that I never have to believe again. That's not a life of faith. That's if I can just get through this one moment. It'll be good forever. No, it's already good forever. <laughs> Sorry, I'm enjoying myself. We don't need to have the lottery mentality when the one who has no shortage lives with you every day. What is more of a miracle? Him putting 500 million in your bank account today or him supplying your needs every day for all eternity. And so I don't want you to reference what's in your account and what you have to determine how blessed you are. God already said you're blessed. Now, the reason why it's not your get-rich-quick scheme, we're going to have to get into the word here for a second. The reason why it's not your get-rich-quick scheme is because you already are rich. For you know the grace or the provision, the unmerited and undeserved favor and the flooding of your life with all good things of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, 
that you, through his poverty, might become rich. According to the word of God, there was a great exchange. Jesus took your garbage. He took it to the grave and left it there and gave you his all. Well, I need more than that, Pastor Jordan. Prove it to me. Oh, okay. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Come on. You do not have a shortage. If your mentality is telling you you don't have enough, you're looking at the wrong report. Come on. I don't care if your bank account's currently in the negatives. You're looking at the wrong report. You're withdrawing from the wrong account. And I believe you should be fiscally responsible. If your outflow exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. Stop spending more than you have. <laughs> if it's not there, don't use it. There's natural wisdom to these things, right? But God will supply all your needs. But faith is involved in this. You either believe he will or you won't. And you can't stand in both at the same time. Come on, let's go a little further. We've already told you that 2 Peter 1.3 says, as his divine power has already given us, given his past tense. I mean, it's just something he already did. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. How about this? 2 Corinthians chapter 9.8. God is able to make all grace or the fullness of his supply abound towards you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. And this is where a lot of people go wrong with their faith concerning provision and finances is they could care less about God's thoughts and God's plans and God's works and care more about their own comfort. God will keep you comfortable as you pursue the things he's called you to. And God has no problem with you having things. He does have a problem with things having you. They're two different things, right? Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. They're two different things. And God will bless you. I need an example. Abraham, he was obedient and he did what God told him to do when he told him to do it, and every time we meet Abraham, he's bigger, more influential, and richer than we met him before. It said he had so much stuff, and the people with him had so much stuff, and his nephew had so much stuff, they couldn't stay in the same fields anymore. And they had to say, we're, we're killing the land because we're eating everything. We've got to separate. It said that Abraham was very rich, and gold and silver. Why? Because he just kept believing God, kept trusting him. God will take care of you, and you can believe him for the best, but the best 
is not a necessity for you to keep believing and you to keep moving forward. I don't care what you dress in and I don't care what you drive. I don't care what your bank account says. I do care about us being obedient to the callings that God has called us to. Because where he guides, he provides. Come on. Okay, so where do we go from here with this, Pastor Jordan? Well, let's go to James 4 and let's do a number 5. You know, 2 wasn't enough, 3 wasn't enough, we're not even going to go 4, we're going to go number 5. Here's number 5, James 4. Where do wars and fights come from? Well, that doesn't sound like a good way to start, Pastor Jordan. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? Listen, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come for your desires for pleasure? That war in your members. Pleasure is not the ultimate goal. Fulfilling the high calling of Christ is. Paul said, I press on that I may apprehend, (laughs) that I go forward. He says, so where do all the wars and the fights come? They come from our desires within ourselves to have it a little easier. Oh, just let me lay on the beach a little longer, and I have nothing against laying on the beach. You need vacation, you need rest time. But that's not life. That's why most retired people are so miserable. Come on. It's not just working yourself to the end so I can stop doing anything to sit on the beach. No. Actually, if, you, if you're retired, you have more time to fulfill the call of Christ than other people who have to work day jobs. Okay, I'll stop meddling. It says, do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war within your members? You lust for things and you don't have. You murder and covet and you can't obtain. You fight and you war... But he says it all comes down to you don't have because you didn't ask. And the Bible said, we've already covered four of them now, ask and you shall receive that your joy might be full. Ask in line with the word of God and the will of God and it's done for you. He says you don't have to war and fight and lust for more. Ask God. He says he gives all things liberally for you to enjoy. But next verse, he says, you, do, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss that you can just heap it up on your pleasures or spend it on your pleasures. God knows how certain things will affect you at certain times. He will not give you something that will destroy you. And honestly, our hearts need to change before God can bring you into certain things. We have to develop a prosperity mindset. And there's such a bad connotation around that word today. Oh, you're not one of those prosperity preachers, are you, Pastor Jordan? No, I'm a gospel preacher. And I just preach what the word says. And it says he supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He has already said he'll prosper you. He'll supply. But we need to develop a prosperity mindset where so many people today suffer from a poverty mindset. And a poverty mindset will keep you broke. Now, there's a difference between 
not having stuff and having a poverty mindset. A poverty mindset believes I don't have anything, I'll never have anything, I'll never get ahead, it's not possible for me, there's too many walls against me, too many doors have been shut, oh, the society is rigged against the poor. That's a poverty mentality. John said in 3 John 1, verse 2, Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. The word soul there is for your mind, your will, and your emotions. You will never prosper externally when you're poor in your mentality. There's, I like watching those, uh, those reality TV shows that they do on people who win the lottery. Because you can take a person with a poverty mentality and give them millions and millions of dollars, give them time, they'll be broke again. Those stories rarely end well because prosperity begins on the inside of you. Understanding that you are not lacking anything. I do not lack for all good things. God has already provided for me. And so John says, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul or your mind, your will, and emotions prosper. And so a lot of people will say to that, well, that was just a, a, a greeting and a prayer. So you're telling me we should get rid of all greetings and prayers out of the Bible because they have the no theological relevance? Does that mean we have to get, get rid of Ephesians chapter 1 because Paul prayed through that one? Do we have to get Ephesians chapter 3? Do we need to get rid of Colossians 1? Do we need to get rid of Philippians 1? Do we need to get rid of the Lord's Prayer? No. Just because he said it in a prayer does not mean it's not true. It's not an empty wish. There's no empty words in the Bible. And he said, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Come on, let's look at what David said in Psalm 16. He said, keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you're my master, and every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. And we're not talking about the gods of, of uh, Muhammad or Allah or any of those. We're talking about the gods of money. We're talking about the gods of, of uh, business. We're talking about the gods of distraction. We're talking about the gods of sports. Come on. You can have whatever gods you want at the forefront of your life, but he said, you shall not have any gods before me. Don't take a good thing and make it a god. Right. He said, troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine, and the land you have given me is a pleasant land a wonderful inheritance. Hallelujah! Woo! Come on. David just has a way with words sometimes. Hallelujah. 
And so as we ended last, week, at last week's service, we were talking about the sovereignty of God. And God is 100% sovereign in the way that that word is actually defined. He is the supreme ruler above all things. He is all-powerful above all else. But that does not mean that statements like this are valid. Well, if God wanted it to be that way, wouldn't it just be that way? No, not if he told you to act. If I said, Toph, do whatever you want with that provision, and you toss it back and say, God, you do it. <laughs> and he said, no, I told you to do something with it. Well, oh, God, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, God, no, you do something with it. Oh, well, whatever God wants to happen, God's in control. No, you do something with it. Oh, well, God, you know, sometimes these things happen. Take the wheel, Jesus, take the wheel. No, all things are possible to him who believes. Oh, Jesus, please swing by my bed of affliction. I need your help. No, you believe that by my stripes you were healed. You can't put it back in God's court what he put in yours. If he said believe, your job is to believe, to be active in that pursuit and not passive because this is what the God said. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. You choose life that you may love the Lord your God and that you may obey Obedience requires action. Obey his voice and that you may cling to him. That requires effort. Man, Montgomery is like, he's, I call him the little spider monkey. Last night I said, okay, Montgomery, jump on my back. And man, he jumped on my back and then scurried up right up onto my shoulders. He wrapped his legs around my neck and started choking me with his legs. I'm like, let go, let go. And I could barely get him off. He was clinging to me. Come on, we got to cling to God and all that he has said and do some action saying, no, I will not be moved. I will not be moved. I will believe and surely I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Hallelujah. How you cling to him for he is your life. He is your length of days that you may dwell in in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them whatever he promised you cling to as a present tense reality because faith exists now. If you've asked, you've received, you believe, it's done. What do you do next? God, I thank you. I thank you it's done. Come on, that's what Paul said. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Ask. So why do we want to pivot to a sovereignty mentality or a false sovereignty mentality of, well, whatever God wants? Why? It's a convenient theology. It's a no-fault religion. We don't like to be the bearer of responsibility. Oh, well, I guess God wanted something different. No, he told you to believe, and you didn't. It doesn't have to be convenient to be right. 
And it's, as a minister, it's an easy out excuse. Why did that person die? Surely Sister Edna, she was, she was a some woman of faith. Well, that doesn't mean she believed that God had carried her sickness. Come on. It's easy. The easy answer, well, we just don't know what God wanted. No, we do. The Word told us. Man, if you want a good section on uh, sovereignty, I always recommend this book. The Balance of Grace and Faith by Andrew Womack, or Living in the Balance of Grace, sorry. In the first few chapters, he goes over this message of sovereignty, but I want to share as we're ending right now on a story that he had in it. And he was in, went into a church, and they were having a service, and uh, there would have been a group of teenagers who the night before went out drinking, doing drugs, were speeding in their car on wet roads, and wrapped their car around a telephone pole, and they all died. And so he's in this meeting with the pastor of that, those kids went to that church, and uh, the pastor got up and said, well, I guess God just, it was their time, God just needed them at home, he wanted them home with him, or, or, just, just bear with me here for a second, or maybe getting drunk and gone drugs and speeding on wet roads was a bad idea. Why does God get the blame for that? Come on. That's convenient. Takes the pressure off of them and us. But it doesn't mean it's true. He goes on to share that there was a a woman, a couple, and on the way to the, the hospital, they got stuck in the taxi. And when the baby came out, the baby didn't breathe for quite a period of time. And so there was a little bit of brain damage. There was some Down syndrome. And uh, uh, the baby was born with no immune system. And the doctor said when the baby was born, just, just you only have a little bit of time. You know, he, the doesn't matter how long they live, eventually there's going to be a virus that will come along, and because they've got no, no immune system, the baby will die. Well, sure enough, four years later, baby catches a virus. And so he, he's uh, with the couple, and they're, they're praying for the baby, and the baby passes away. And then they take the next two hours, and he's trying, he said, I was trying to raise that baby from the dead. It's like, God, we can't let it end like this. We can't let it end this way. And after two hours, they're finally like, and as he was sitting there, they were all sitting in silence amongst the three of them. And uh, he said, in, on the inside of him, there, there, was this, there, there was this pressure. I got to say something helpful to these people. And he said, in that moment, it would have been the easiest thing to say, well, it just wasn't God's will to heal that baby. He wanted that baby to come home. He said, it would have been the easiest thing. And I didn't have anything more encouraging to say them. He's like, so I just said, guys, this sucks. <laughs> he tells a more cleaned up version in the, in the book. But he said, this sucks. I don't know if it was my faith or your faith or our faith that has failed us this day. But I need you to know this was not God. God did not do this, and it is his will, according to his word, to heal and that wasn't any great comfort in that moment for this couple who just lost that baby. Well, that mother came to him a little while later and said, I want to thank you for saying that. Because when my son was born, 
I had this feeling and I had this belief on the inside of me. He's not going to live. He's not going to make it far. And as soon as he got sick, I knew in myself, he's dead. He's gone. It was me that was not believing with you. <laughs> it was me who was not believing because that's what I thought. And she said, I've repented of that and I will have children. And the doctor said, you shouldn't have any. You're too small. You can't have kids. If you have a kid, it's going to automatically have to be via C-section. Nothing wrong with that. But she said, no, I will have children. I will have them normal. And she went on to have four natural home births, perfectly healthy kids. She said, I got rid of that fear. I got rid of that unbelief. And I began to trust God. And so there's things that may rise up on the inside of you to say, well, I guess it's not God's will. No, his will is what his word said. Don't go for convenience over truth. Believe the word above all else. Faith, it overcomes every obstacle. Amen? Pastor Robin, bring us in for a landing. Well, glory. Well, Proverbs says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. We're about to sow some seed. I think our seed needs to hear our voices. And so, not only on the seed you're about to sow, but on the seed that you have sown in the past, let's say this confession together, speak it with your voice, so the seed hears it, and this is my seed. I sow it in the kingdom of God. Seed do what you do best, grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See, do what you do. Hallelujah. Everything after its own kind. We receive that in Jesus' name. And there are several ways you can give. You can give online, uh, wordchurch.ca forward slash give, and, uh, or use the envelope in the, the pew in the baskets at the back. Amen? Amen. Amen. Woo! We a lot to chew on today. Ah, goodness. I'm glad you repeated some of that stuff. Repetition's never bad. Uh, you know, which was it, Doug Jones, or, yeah, Doug Jones, the instructor down at Rama, and uh, he's big on repetition, and uh, yeah, why not, amen? Yeah, well, Paul said to the Philippians, he said, for me to write the same thing to you again is not grievous or burdensome or heavy, it's necessary. So Paul had already written to the Philippians everything he had already said to them, and he's like, but gotta say it again, gotta repeat it. And you go over it until you get it, right? Amen, and so you are blessed. Amen.